would go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 this Lord's Day morning. Well, as I've been pondering this passage this week, and even as I've witnessed the beauty of simple, willing service to the Lord this week at Crossings, which is something that you did not see or could not see in the video, but the volunteers there at Crossings just simply giving up the entirety this summer to just serve. And this open-handed willingness to serve the Lord and serve these students, serve these children, serve the leaders, adults. And why? For the sake of the gospel. And so as I've pondered this passage and even seen that this week, I've wondered how might we get to the point in our Christian lives where the word service is no longer a dreadful thing, but a beautiful thing. Where our inner sense and disposition isn't how we can avoid service or even where, even asking ourselves, you know, where can we serve where we are most comfortable in our service? So often we only look for those areas that we're just simply comfortable serving in. When so often, even you looking at the word of God, that is not so often the case. God always and continually and persistently calls us out from what we're comfortable doing to simply follow him and do whatever he calls us to do. And so that we would come to the point that we would just simply ask and be willing just to simply ask a simple question, where can I serve? What do you need? I will do it. That's our answer. There's just a sincere, glad desire to serve wherever you're needed. A simple heartbeat that beats under the words of Colossians chapter 3. And I love these words from Colossians as Paul writes this to the church of Colossae in verse 23 through 24. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. To have that heart as believers, that to see ourselves in that way, that we are servants of Christ and that we would be found faithful to him. Do you want that? Do you want to be found faithful to him, found faithful to the Lord when you stand before him one day? We need this. We need this sort of open-handed willingness to take up our crosses and just to simply say, I will follow you, Christ, in whatever you call me to do. And in many ways, this is what Paul is saying. And what Paul is saying here is his heart, is his heart in our passage this morning. He and Apollos are aiming at true cross-taking up sort of lives 
sort of ministries, sort of preaching, sort of teaching, sort of missions, and sort of ministering as those who are stewards of glorious things of the gospel. And so to see this, let's read here then, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. May God help us take his word to heart this morning. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Each one will receive his commendation from God. At this point in this letter, we've mostly come to the end of its major section. So Paul, as you're reviewing somewhat of where we have gone in these past chapters, Paul, he has called the Corinthians to consider how they are saints. They're not just anybody, they are saints. They're his, they're set apart by God's grace and redeemed by the power of the Spirit of God unto what? As he said it again and again, and even as he will say again in our passage here, unto cross-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting lives. And so as followers of Christ, they aren't to live and walk as natural people, which back when we looked at those verses in chapter 2, these are people who don't know Christ, people who do not have the Spirit of God in them. So they're not to be like that. You're not to be like that, but rather you're to walk as spiritual people, as those who are believers, who have the Spirit of God in them. You have the Spirit of God in you. We're to walk as those set apart, as holy to the Lord. And so rather than being defined by worldly rivalries and worldly wisdom, which is what the Corinthians were doing, like, we follow this person, we follow this person, we follow Paul, we follow Apollos, we follow Cephas, they're following the wisdom of this age. Rather than doing that, they are called, he's called them to live and walk as children of God, as God's building, God's temple, living under and according to the wisdom of God in Christ in everything. And so that brings us then to our verses here, where Paul he aims to make clear what his and Apollos' ministries were about. And so correcting the Corinthians' view of them as ministers of the gospel. 
And so although this passage isn't saying pastors are apostles, we certainly don't ever and should never say that because they're not, I'm not, it does give us a guide for how pastors and ministers should view themselves. And not only that, but how you should view them too. And so he begins here then, saying of him and Apollos that they were what? They were servants and stewards. So verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, let's consider those two words. Let's break this down here, the word servants and the word stewards. So we'll take each one in turn. So first, servants is referring to those who are subject to the authority of another. And so we saw this aspect of Paul and Apollos' ministry in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Now, if you remember back then, he's still talking about these rivalries. And so he says in verse 5 of chapter 3, if you look back, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And so they saw themselves that way. They saw themselves as followers of Christ living under the authority and control of their master. Now some may translate this word, I think rightly so, as assistance. But in hearing that, you, may, you aren't to take that an incorrect direction. It doesn't mean assistance in the sense that God needs them. But they move, but assistance in the way that they move and they live and they speak and they minister according to the will of their master, which is who? It's God. It's Christ, their Lord. Now, as you hear that, you might receive that in all sorts of ways. Maybe thinking, well, God, I mean, every time. You know, he tells me to do something, you know. He always keeps me from all the fun stuff. He's just a hard taskmaster. Well, friends, if that's not to be our view of God. That's not Paul's view or Apollos' view of God. I think sometimes that's the way we talk in our churches, even pastors. Man, God got me. I, was, I came kicking and screaming, and I finally became a pastor, and it's like, Dude, that's not okay. <laughs> you are being disobedient. Don't act like that's okay that you ran away from what the Lord is calling you to do. Being Jonah is not okay. He was sinning. But God, he is good. He is not a taskmaster. His purposes are good. His plans are Beautiful, and his commands are always best. Friends, as you think about being servants of Jesus Christ, this master you can trust with all your heart. Do you know anyone who is completely trustworthy and good? Well, God is that. He is perfectly trustworthy, perfectly good. And you can trust him with all your heart. 
And when you do that, that allows you to do what? To do this. Open service. Well, I will simply follow you, Lord, confidently. You tell me what to do, and I will do it. That's the kind of heart we're to have, and that's the kind of heart that Paul means here in saying that he's a servant. They are servants. So that's the first word, servants. The second, stewards. Stewards is referring to those keeping charge of something. So let's say if I gave you my Bible, this one right here, you know, this one, (laughs) you know, with all my personal notes in it, you know, the Bible that I preach from each Sunday, you know, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and I asked you, I said, all right, you take care of this, and you care for it until I ask for it back again. Well, what are you? Well, you're a steward. It's not yours, but I've asked you to take care of it. And so when I get it back, I'm expecting that you would have cared for it, right? Not for it to come back to me in shambles or pages missing and it ripped and scribbled on or maybe been put through a paper shredder. I mean, I like, what is, what is that? I didn't, I didn't want you to bring that, give that back to me that way. But I expect what I gave to you, you would give it back in the same condition, in the same way that it came and I gave it to you, that you would care for it. Well, Paul, he sees himself as a steward also. And he has something very sacred in his care, doesn't he? He has been called, and they have been called to be faithful with the mysteries of God. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, he's referring to the gospel. We've actually already seen this in chapter 2, verse 7. What was once hidden has now been revealed. And he has been entrusted as a steward with the mysteries of God. Now, can Paul do anything he wants with the mysteries of God as a steward? Absolutely not. We actually even see this in Galatians chapter 1, right? If you remember in Galatians, he's basically indicting and admonishing the Galatians. And he says, I am astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then in verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, but even if we, including himself or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He's a steward. He's not the master. He's not the owner. He's not permitted to do anything that he wants with this message. I mean, how many churches need to hear that right now? He's not permitted or allowed to do anything he wants with this gospel, with God's word. There is a weight and a responsibility set before Paul. And so we see in verses 2 through 4, what does it say that is required of stewards? Pretty plain there. 
verse 2, it's, they are required to be found faithful. So see in this stewardship who is foremost in the mind of the Lord's servant and the steward. Who is foremost in their service and in their stewardship? Does he point at the Corinthians? You're foremost in my mind. Does, does he point to the local church? You're foremost in my mind. No. Who is foremost in their mind is their master in faithfulness to their master. And this is why Paul, he writes in verse 3, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, as, we, as you hear that and as we hear that, it could be easy to think, you know, well, wow, Paul. I mean, you sure are full of yourself. Like, I mean, no one can tell you anything? Really? Well, that's not, that's not what Paul means by this. We know that's not what's going on here, that he's, Paul is not full of himself. He's not being arrogant. He's not saying, no one judges me. I'm above all that. No one can tell me anything. That's not what he's thinking. That's not what he's saying here. You know, as one commentator said, this isn't a thick-skinned indifference on Paul's part. So what is he saying? Well, he's saying when it comes down to human courts, when it comes down to public opinion, public opinion is not the final standard for the judgment that is coming. Just think about that for a second. Think about how you're living your life at work, at home, among your neighbors and everything else. Public opinion is not the final judge. That's why he says what he's saying. Paul even says in verse 3, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. He doesn't even judge himself. His own judgments can err in that, and that God will be the final judge of all that Paul has done. That's what he's seeing. That's what he's saying. That's what he's emphasizing. God is the one who will judge him, not public opinion. Now, that should put in perspective perhaps any versions of cultural Christianity that we have that we're, we're fearful of. Or even maybe even looking around us and thinking, well, these are the people. Their opinions are what matter. Well, Paul is not doing that. He's looking at the Lord. He's saying, he's the one who's going to judge me and I and called to be faithful to him. And so what are some implications for pastors here? Even more, what are some implications for you? 
and for all of us. Well, first, pastors. Pastors must be faithful to what has been given. Friends, this is what you want from your pastor. This is what you want from your pastors. Pastors aren't to aim primarily at a congregation's approval. Now, this doesn't mean they don't care. But as they consider themselves, they must live as though they are not they they are on your leash they're not to live as though you're they're on your leash and i've seen this i've seen churches that think that the pastor is simply their employee that they ultimately answer to them friends you see why this matters to your view of the pastor as though they primarily pastors primarily answer to you, even work under you. Yet in saying that, though, this also doesn't mean that they are to be dictators or to overrun the flock, nor are they to be treated like modern-day apostles because they're not. I'm not. Pastors aren't apostles. So none of those ways of viewing the pastor are good. They're not on the church's Least are not to be dictators. They're not modern-day apostles. None of those are the ways that we're to view, you're to view, pastors. Rather, pastors are servants and stewards primarily before God. Before Him, they are called to be faithful. And the beauty of this is that when they are faithful, you will have that. You will have God's word faithfully given and faithfully ministered to you even when you don't like it. Even when they have to come to you and say, brother, sister, what you're doing isn't good. You're living in sin. How can they do that? If they're living for your approval, they won't do that. If they're, they're afraid that you're going to leave if they confront you, they won't do that. But if they're aiming to be faithful to God, they will. Amen. And they must as well. And so their faithfulness must be in view of him, primarily. That doesn't mean they forget about you. That doesn't mean they don't love you, they don't shepherd. But him, primarily, he is before their eyes. And faithful ministers aren't to preach themselves either. But what are they to do? They are to preach Christ. They are to preach the gospel. They are to preach God's word, all of it, Amen. not part of it, not the parts you like and not the, per, not the parts that you don't like, just the preaching all of God's word. Yet in saying that, faithfulness, the faithfulness of a pastor, it does not look cold, dispassionate, unloving, or harsh either. 
There's not a dichotomy between a pastor's faithfulness over here and the fruit of the Spirit, right? They're to walk in both of those in all these things. However, getting at Paul's point here, why am I saying all this? Because this is part of Paul's point here. If it came down to your approval or God's, the faithful minister always is to go with God. They take to heart Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's what Paul is. And that's what Paul is about. And that's what I'm to be about. Amen. And every pastor is to be about. So pastor is to be faithful unto the Lord. And second, a pastor's faithfulness includes a life lived faithful to God. A life lived faithful to God. Faithfulness is not limited to what they say to what they preach, and to what they teach. It includes, and even must include, how they live. The qualifications in Timothy and Titus and 1 Peter, and I'll leave that to you to go look at yourselves in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, it makes that clear. The 19th century pastor, Robert Murray McShane, he said it well. The greatest need of my people is my own personal holiness. Faithfulness includes a pastor's true pervasive godliness. Now, if, you're, if you have in your mind in that just someone who's stern and stoic and just has no fun, never smiles, that's not what this means. But it is a pervasive godliness that flows through their life, even going to crossings camp, playing basketball, playing bazooka ball to the glory of God. My preaching and my teaching and my ministering of the word is not something I just give you. Like someone who's just doing their job. God forbid that be the case for, for me. That I come up here and at some point just say, well, I'm just doing my job. I come to Wednesday night, I just, I'm just doing my job. That's not to be, but... I am to apply and aim to apply all that I am preaching to you right now to my own heart, to my own thoughts, to my own life as well. And so this leads pastors to rightly ask themselves, and not just pastors, but you also, you need to ask this of yourself also. Who 
are you aiming to please? Who are you aiming to please? The drumbeat of your faithfulness is not to be a repeating of the common motions of our day. The standard of your faithfulness is not primarily set by the spiritual tune of our times. Your standard is the vision laid out in God's word. That you would have hearts aimed at God, pleasing him and living for him. You're not to look around and say, you see how they're serving or not serving? That's how I'm going to serve. You look here and you say, you see how he's serving? You see how Christ calls me to serve? That's how I'm going to serve. That's what I mean. Your, the spiritual tune of your godliness is not set by our day. And perhaps not even set by those sitting among you right now. Or in our churches. It's set by this. Aiming at God. Aiming at pleasing Him. And living for Him. This is to be the pastor's heart, and it is to be your heart also. We are to aim to please him. And that's also why it's so important the pastor aims to please him. Because he is to lead in that example of saying, who do you please? Not me. You please. You aim your life and everything at pleasing him even if it costs you. Aim at pleasing him. And so this brings us then to our next point, into the importance of the purposes of our heart. The purposes of our heart. As Paul, he brings his point partially to a conclusion here, and where do I get that? Well, as you've heard many say, it's, the therefore, what is it therefore? <laughs> in verse 5, well, he is bringing this to a conclusion and he encourages us to consider just this, what he has been talking about, to consider our own hearts. And so he says in verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. So in view of all that he just said about servants and stewards and judging, the day is coming when all things will be brought to light. All things will be brought to light. So verse 5, it comes as a word of caution for the Corinthians for making all these assessments of Paul and Apollos according to their various factions among themselves. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And so Paul is saying, in other words, those factions are not the judge. God will bring to light the purposes of the heart. Now, as you hear that, 
that might absolutely scare you to death. But it is true and it is coming. And we'll talk about that more specifically in just a moment. But here, you need to see that God knows what's really going on in your heart and in your heart and my heart and why we do what we do. You need to be asking whatever area of service you have here at Haven or in any area of service, why are you doing that? Remember the words of Psalm 139 that Jill read a moment ago. So verses 1 through 2 and verse 12. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. So what does that mean? Well, it means there's no hiding from God. The motives of your heart will be known. And then will come commendation, praise from God, or not. And so as you hear that, as you think about the motives of your own heart, there are three considerations that you and I need to consider. First, consider a warning for those who won't take heed to these things. Now I'm including myself in this. That is, as a pastor, it's a warning that says clearly why we do what we do matters. Why I minister, why I preach, why I pastor, why I shepherd, that matters. Why you serve, why you minister, that matters. Your ministries, your efforts, your gospel witness, why are we, why are you doing them? So a warning and then second, consider the warning and then second, consider a danger for those who go too far. There are those who might hear this as Paul talks about this and think, okay, well, it's on, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to let the purposes of my heart get out of whack, which might sound good. But the danger is in what follows. And what do I mean? Well, they then go and they create this whole system for considering their heart and end up just cornering themselves in, painting themselves into a corner. They become meticulous in their pursuit, obsessive, where they just stifle themselves and they overwhelm others. Everything becomes, as they go here, as they go there, as they do this, you know, why did I do that and that and that? Why did I do those things? Why did I say that and why did I say it that way? Why didn't I help that person or why did I help that person? Why didn't I go? Why did I go? Right? Did I love them? 
Or did I love myself? Or did I love God? Why did I give that much? Why didn't I give any? (laughs) Why didn't I give more? And on it goes. You see how this can paralyze you. And we can paralyze ourselves even to the point where we might just, you know, throw up our hands and say, you know what, it's possible that if I go and do that, whatever it is, that I might do it with the wrong motive, so I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to go to home group. I'm not going to go to Wednesday nights. I'm not going to go on mission trips. I'm not going to go to crossings camp. Or if I do go, I won't say or do anything. <laughs> that way I won't mess anything up, right? No bad purposes of the heart here. And so you see the danger. We can hedge ourselves in, and in the process, we become disobedient, consumed with ourselves, rather than just freely serving and living for Christ. And the truth is, and this will shake you up even more, is our hearts are often interwoven with both good and bad motives. Now, that makes it even more complicated, doesn't it? (laughs) So what do we do? As we're considering this, as we want this, we want to examine our hearts, as we consider our hearts, for us who do desire to apply this passage in truth, so what do we do? Well, there is help for those who take these words to heart. There is help for those who take these words to heart. We are right to be concerned with the purposes of our hearts. I am. You are. And so how should we consider our hearts without ignoring the warning just gave and while also avoiding the danger that you just heard as well? What's going before God's word and letting it tell you Letting the Word and the Spirit of God be the mirror for your heart, for exposing your heart. Where do I get that? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This means you must be in the Word. And not just reading the Word, but letting the Word read you. Asking after you have read it, after you've studied it, after you've memorized various parts of it, how will it move you? How will it change you? How will it transform your life? It means even that you can pray through the Word. If you have came on Wednesday nights, we do this as we begin. Each Wednesday night, we open up to the Psalms and we pray through the Word. And as you do that, even asking the Lord, to examine you, and to examine your heart. Taking these words to heart, it means 
that you can pray honestly before God, setting before the Lord all these things. Your struggles, your wrestlings, your fears, your sins, everything before the Lord. There's no more hiding and there's no more need for you to hide. It's also being here, being part of the body, among the body. You see, God uses this in ways that I don't think often we think about. Being around other followers of Christ makes you, and God uses that to make you more like Christ. Where people know you, and you know them, and you know that's exposing too, isn't it? So often, that's exactly why we don't go, we don't do, and we don't let people know us. It often reveals things you don't see and maybe even don't know about yourself. Well, God wants you to be part of the body for that very reason. It's serving where and when you're not comfortable. It's this open-handed service before God, saying, yes, Lord. It's sharing the gospel even when you feel ill-equipped. It's faith in God, faith in Christ, leaning on him in all things and just going out and being obedient, speaking, loving, serving, and sharing out of love for Christ. So here's the key point. Wanting to have hearts that are his doing it and serving and ministering and doing all these things with hearts unto him. It's looking to God and his grace and not yourself. It's that simple. It's taking up what Paul has been saying. It's taking up the cross and following Christ. That's what it is. So consider God's word this morning. Let it expose you. Let it even point you to Christ again and again and again. And maybe you're here and you don't know Christ this morning. Well, today is the day of salvation. You need Christ. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again to pay the penalty for your sin, to make you right with God. And so perhaps your response this morning needs to be putting your faith in Christ for the very first time not with your eyes on any person in this room, but your eyes simply on God who made you. And so for us, may service, may our service be beautiful. May our stewardship be faithful. May we indeed be found faithful. And so, as this passage says, receive our commendation from God.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and as we sit in the pews and as each person sits and ponders and reflects upon your word this morning, may they also consider and ask what you are calling them to do, how they are to respond. And so, Father, we pray that you would work in these ways, helping us, each of us, as we think about servants and stewards, as we think about faithfulness, as we think about pleasing God, as we think about the purposes of our heart. But Lord, we, and I pray that all of us here would come with open hands, ready to say, Lord, do your work. Lead me to where I would serve and how I would serve, and my answer is always yes. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, we pray that you would open their eyes and help them see today, even now, that they need you and that Christ can save them. Amen. And so as we respond this morning through song, whether it means praying there in the pew or coming at these steps and praying, or coming and praying with me, or maybe even after talking about Christ, about the gospel, about what it means to come to know you, we pray and ask that you would help us respond. In Jesus' name, amen.